We're going to be learning in Chidushim Aron Riz HaLevi, the second piece in Hulk Zavodah This is Perek Ches Halacha Aleph. And this is a long technical piece where Rab Velvel is explaining the Halacha that one cannot prohibit a mountain or a tree or something connected to the land by worshipping it as Avodah Zara. So this is necessary because otherwise large parts of the world would be prohibited because of all the idolaters and no one would know which area is allowed to be used or not. So the Halacha is that anything that's connected to the land does not become prohibited even though it's worshipped. Whereas disconnected objects, like if someone worships an idol, it is prohibited from benefit. So Rab Velvel is going to explain the Rambam's approach to this halacha. Now the key conceptual point that he develops is that there is a difference between turning an object into an avodah zara versus prohibiting that object from being used to honor and serve Hashem, which is a higher criteria. Even if the object is not as soon as it was improperly worshipped, it can no longer be used to serve Hashem. So that's Rav Velvel's key point. Now, even though this is largely theoretical and not practical today, but we'll see at the end that there is a key conceptual point about Yayin Nesach. The Rambam writes, Any object which was not changed by people, nor created by people. So it's not a man-made object. Even though it was worshipped as Avodah Zarah, it's still permitted to derive benefit from that object. It does not become prohibited. So, for example, If the non-Jews worship a mountain, so they consider the mountain to be a god, or they worship an animal. So, since a mountain and an animal are not man-made, they're still permitted to get benefit from them, they do not become prohibited because they were worshipped. So you're allowed to eat the produce of that mountain and that animal. Similarly, says the Rambam, since you're allowed to eat an animal which was worshipped as an Avodah Zara, so if the animal itself is considered a god and it was worshipped, you're allowed to eat it. So all the more so you're allowed to eat an animal which was set aside to be used in the worship of an Avodah Zara. So there was an idol and this animal was going to be used to serve it. So such an animal, that animal is allowed to be eaten whether it was set aside to be worshipped as the God itself or it was set aside to be used in the worship of the idol. Either way, that animal is permitted to be eaten, it does not become prohibited to derive benefit and to eat it. So even though the general rule is that any object that's set aside to be used in the worship of Avodah Zarah has certain rules that apply to things which are set aside for Avodah Zarah, that halacha does not apply to animals because they're not man-made. So that's the ruling of the Rambam. Now, Reb Velvel quotes that there's an issue with the Rambam, which is why does he put these two halachas together? An animal which is itself worshipped and an animal which is muksa set aside for Avodah Zarah. Because the standard halacha of muksa, as the Rambam himself earlier in Zion Tesvav ruled, is that it's only prohibited to be used in the Beis HaMikdash for sacrifices. But it's not prohibited to derive 
derive benefit from an object which was muktza for avodah for a regular person. So let's say there's wine that was set aside to be used for the worship of avodah A regular person can drink that wine. They just can't use it as a sacrifice. The wine that becomes prohibited for everyone is when it's actually used in the worship of the idol, not when it's set aside for use. So the rule of muktza only applies to sacrifices. It does not apply to regular use for a regular person. So why is the Rambam saying that the leniency for using an animal, which was set aside for Avodah is because the animal is not man-made? Even if it was a man-made object, it would be permitted to be used for regular people. So this leniency has nothing to do with the fact that the animal is a natural object. It's not man-made because it applies to all objects. And that's how the Gemara in Tmura and Davchavtes explains the issue that an object which was set aside for Avodah is only prohibited for use in the Beis HaMikdash, not for regular people. So why does the Rambam present this halacha differently and connect it with an unrelated halacha that a non-man-made object, a natural object like a mountain or an animal is not prohibited when it itself is the Avodah So what do these two halachas have to do with each other when the animal is itself the Avodah and when it's set aside but not used yet to worship a different idolatry. So Rav Velvel explains that the source for the Rambam's ruling is the Mishnah in Tmura Chavches. The Mishnah includes both of these cases, whether the animal itself is the idol and whether it was set aside to worship an idol. And the Mishnah says, Zeb zem In either of those cases, the animal is still permitted to be eaten. So that's the source for the Rambam to connect these two cases together in the same halacha. So that's why the Rambam records two halachas. The first is that if the animal itself is worshipped as an idol, so since it's not man-made, it does not become prohibited and it's still allowed to be eaten. And then the second halacha is if the animal was set aside to be used to worship an idol, so that animal is allowed to be eaten by a regular person, but it cannot be used as a sacrifice. So there are two different halachas within this halacha of the Rambam. But Rav Velvel asks, what does it mean when the Rambam says that even if the mountain or the animal were worshipped as an idol themselves, they're still allowed to be eaten? So the produce that grows on the mountain is permitted. And the way Rav Velvel formulates this question is that all the prohibitions of Avodah Zarah are Isr Hanah. They're a prohibition to derive benefit, not to eat the object. So let's say in a regular case, a piece of meat is worshipped as an idol. That piece of meat is now prohibited to derive benefit from, but there is no special prohibition to eat it. Now, obviously, eating is a form of deriving benefit, so it is also prohibited to eat that meat, but the source, the way the Torah formulated it is that it's prohibited to derive benefit benefit, which includes eating it. But there is no separate prohibition to eat something which was worshipped. And the way we know this is because the way the Torah formulated it is velosavi to'eva el beisecha. Don't bring an abomination in your house. And you 
shouldn't keep anything from the destruction. So you have to destroy Avodah and not keep it. So those prohibitions are Isr Hana. You're not allowed to derive any benefit from something which was an idol, but the Torah never says anything about it being prohibited to eat something which was an idol. And that's how the Rambam explains it later in Zion Bays. So when it comes to an object which itself was Avodah the Torah prohibited it in benefit, not in eating it. Now there is one exception, which is something which was used to serve, to worship in Avodah Zarah. So there the Rambam in Hilchus Machalos Asuros Yud Aleph Aleph explains that there is another prohibition to eat that food. So let's say wine, which was poured in front of an idol, is prohibited to derive benefit from it, from the regular prohibition to derive benefit from idolatrous objects. And then in addition to that, there is another prohibition to eat it. So there is a distinction between the idolatry itself versus objects which were used to worship the idolatry. The idolatry itself has one prohibition to derive benefit from it, and that includes eating or drinking it. Whereas the objects that are used to serve the idolatry have not only a prohibition against benefit, but also against eating or drinking them. So there are two separate prohibitions. Now the Rambam in this case is talking about a mountain which itself was served. So there would have only been a prohibition against benefiting from the mountain. Now there is no prohibition because the mountain is not man-made. So there's an exception for mountains and animals and anything that's naturally made. But if there had been a prohibition, it would have only been to benefit from the mountain, not to eat from the mountain. So why does the Rambam add in another line that since the mountain is not prohibited because it's not man-made, so you're allowed to eat the produce that grows? on the mountain. Of course you're allowed to eat the produce. Once there's no prohibition to benefit from the mountain, so obviously you're allowed to eat it. There was never a prohibition against eating the produce of the mountain to begin with. The only prohibition would have been in Isr Hana that you're prohibited to get benefit from the mountain. But there was no separate prohibition against eating the produce of the mountain because the mountain itself was worshipped. So why does the Rambam need to tell us two things? That you're allowed to get benefit from the mountain and you're allowed to eat the produce of the mountain. Once you're allowed to get benefit from the mountain, then obviously you're allowed to eat the produce of the mountain and the Rambam does not need to add that in. That is Rab Velvel's question on the formulation of the Rambam in this halacha. And in fact, Rab Velvel adds that you could ask a similar question on the mission itself. It says, that both types of animals are permitted to be eaten. Why is it focusing on eating it? The main prohibition that we're dealing with is an Isr Hana'a, not a prohibition against eating the animal. So why is the language of the Mishnah focused on eating? So there seems to be something with a prohibition against eating this animal that the Rambam and the Mishnah are trying to emphasize. So the way Rab Velvel explains this is based on the Gemara in Tamura's discussion. The Gemara asks, How do we know that these animals are permitted to be eaten? So Amar Papa Damar The Torah says that you have to bring a sacrifice from a Jewish liquid. So what does that mean? Something which a regular Jew could eat. 
Now, if a regular Jew is not allowed to eat these animals, so then obviously they're not allowed to be used as a sacrifice. We just said that any sacrifice has to be something which a regular Jew would be allowed to eat. Now, the Gemara interprets from Sukkim that these animals which were worshipped as idolatry or set aside for the worship of idolatry are prohibited to be used as sacrifices. So obviously they're allowed to be eaten by a regular Jew and that's why the Torah needed to prohibit them from being sacrifices. So that's the logic of the Gemara. Since the Torah told us that these animals are not allowed to be sacrifices, it must be that a regular Jew is allowed to eat them and that is the source for the ruling in the Mishnah. Now Tosvos asks that there's a problem with this logic because if we didn't have the psukim that tell us that these animals are not allowed to be used as sacrifices, we would have no reason to think that they're prohibited from being eaten by a regular Jew. There is no other source that tells us that these animals are problematic. So we needed those verses to teach us that these animals are problematic to begin with. So Tosos explains in the name of the Ri that in fact the basis for this prohibition would be the psukim that the Gemara interpreted earlier, which say that these animals are disqualified from being a carbon. So from there we derive that if the animal cannot be used as a sacrifice, it's also prohibited for a regular person to eat them. So that's how Tosos reads these lines in the Gemara. Now Tosos continues there, Abelville doesn't quote it, but he explains how this would fit into the Gemara. Because at this point, how do we know that these animals are only prohibited as a sacrifice and not, in fact, for everyone? So Tosos explains that it's based on the placement of those verses, which are discussing carbonos, not regular kosher meat. So Tosos continues how to fit this idea into the logic of the Gemara. But what Rab Velvel wants from this Tosfos is that the prohibition we're dealing with in the Gemara is not the regular prohibition against idolatry objects from the Losavi Toeva or Loidavik Biyadcha. We're not dealing with those general prohibitions against benefiting from an idolatrous object. This Gemara is dealing with a new prohibition that since the Torah said that idolatrous animals, whether they were worshipped or whether they were set aside for worship, are not allowed to be a carbon, so we would have thought that a regular person is not allowed to eat them as well. So that is a new prohibition derived from Minha Bakar, a separate Pasuk, not the classic prohibition against idolatrous objects of Losavi Toeva or Loidavik Biyadcha. So now, says Rab Velvel, this new prohibition is not in Isra Hanna'a. It's possible that this new prohibition is formulated as an Isra Achila, a prohibition against eating the animals, like the Tikrovis Avodazara, the objects that were used to worship Avodazara. So it's possible that this new prohibition that the Gemara is now developing would have been modeled after like Yayin Nesach, wine which was poured for Avodah which does have a prohibition against drinking it. So it's possible that these animals are prohibited to be eaten. So that explains the language of the Mishnah that Zevizemutar and Ba'achila, they're permitted to be eaten because we're not dealing with the general prohibition against idolatrous objects, which is an Isr Hanna'a, against benefit. Here, 
we're dealing with another prohibition, which is possibly an Iser Achila, at the end of the day, there is no prohibition. That's the whole point of this Mishnah and Gemara, that we do not compare a regular person to a carbon. So even though this animal can't be used as a carbon, a regular person could eat it, but we're dealing with on a theoretical level. If there had been a prohibition, it may have been an Iser Achila, and that's why the Mishnah tells us that these animals are permitted to be eaten. That's the emphasis. Not just that the person's allowed to benefit from them, but rather they're allowed to eat them and there is no prohibition against eating them. So now that we understand the language of the Mishnah, this now explains what the Rambam is trying to say. He's trying to say that any object which is natural, it's not man-made like a mountain or an animal, even if it was worshipped as an idol, is not included in the general prohibition against idolatrous objects. So a person is allowed to derive Hana'a from that mountain or animal. That's halacha number one. Then the Rambam follows the organization of the Mishnah and he adds in the second halacha, which is if this mountain or animal were set aside to worship an idol, they're also permitted to have Hana'a. So those two halachas are connected because they're both in the same Mishnah. And then the Rambam adds in, you're also allowed to eat the produce or the animal because not only is there not an Iser Hana'a, but there's also not an Iser Achila, which would potentially have been derived from the Pasuk of Minha Bakar. So the Rambam in his language is alluding to Tosos' idea that there's a separate prohibition the Gemara is discussing, which could have been an Iser Achila. So the Rambam is including that element of the Halacha as well, that there is no Iser Achila in this case either. And that Iser Achila would would have come from Minha Bakar since the animal can't be used as a carbon, so it's not allowed to be eaten. So that is Rab Velvel's reading of the Rambam. And through this analysis, he develops three categories within this halacha. There's the general prohibition against idolatrous objects which were worshipped. That is an Iser Hana'a, and there is no separate prohibition to eat it. Then there is a second category of Tikrovis Avodazara, something which was used to serve the Avodazara. There, there's an Iser Hana'a from the original prohibition and an added prohibition against eating those items. And then there's a third category, an animal which was set aside to be used for worship or which itself was worshipped. So there, theoretically, there would have been an Iser Hana'a based on the classic prohibition and an additional prohibition to eat it derived from Minhabakar since it can't be used as a carbon. At the end of the day, there are no prohibitions in the third category because since it's not man-made, it's excluded from both of those prohibitions. So that is the overall framework and analysis of Reb Velvel. Now, in the third paragraph, Reb Velvel raises a small technical issue with this analysis, which is it would have been possible to read that the question of the Gemara, Minahani Mile, how do we know that this animal is permitted to be eaten, is only talking about an animal which was nevad. It itself was worshipped as an idol. So there the Gemara is asking, how do we know that that animal is allowed to be eaten and it's not prohibited in the regular prohibition against anything which is worshipped? Because this is in fact the source for the halacha that anything which is not man-made, it's natural, is not prohibited even if it's worshipped. That's what Rashi and Chulin Daf Mem says and in other places. That since the Torah needed to tell us that an animal which was worshipped is not allowed to be used as a sacrifice, so it's clear that a regular person is allowed to eat it. So it's possible that's all the Gemara is trying to say. How do we know that an
an animal which is itself an idol is still allowed to be eaten. So the answer is we derive it from the fact that the Torah prohibited its use as a sacrifice. But maybe this has nothing to do with an animal which is muktsa, which was going to be used to serve an idol. It could be that that animal is just included in the regular categories of the regular prohibition against any object which is muktsa for avodazara. We don't see in this Gemara necessarily that there is a new category of prohibition for that type of animal. So Reb Velvel raises this possibility in the Gemara and that would undermine his approach to explaining the Rambam because the Rambam is obviously including muksa in this whole halacha. But Reb Velvel says, even though it would have been possible to read the Gemara that way, but Rashi and Tosvos do not explain it that way. They understand that the question of the Gemara, Minahani Mile, how do we know that these animals are allowed to be eaten, applies both to Ne'evad, when the animal itself is the idol, as well as Muktsa, when it was set aside to be used for an idol. So in both cases, the Gemara is asking, how do we know that the animal is allowed to be eaten? And the answer is because the Torah had to prohibit it for use as a sacrifice. So we see that the whole analysis, that there's a new type of prohibition which is being discussed, applies to both types of animals. So even though it would have been possible to read the Gemara as only referring to Nevad, but Rashi and Tosvos understand it to be referring to Muktza as well, and this new category applies to both Nevad and Muktza as the Rambam said. So now, so far in this analysis, Reb Velvel's really only answered a part of his question, which is why does the Rambam focus on the fact that you're allowed to eat these objects? But there's a lingering question. Why should muksa be prohibited when it's never prohibited for regular use? So to answer this question, Reb Velvel goes to the Rambam and he's Surabiya Dalit Vav. The Rambam rules that if someone worships someone else's animal, the animal becomes prohibited. So let's say Ruv worships Shimon's animal, he prohibits it. Now, the Ravid disagrees because we have a principle that ain adam oser davar she'en shalo. A person cannot prohibit someone else's property. So Ruvain worshiping Shimon's animal is not going to prohibit it. Had he changed it so he did something to the object, then he would be able to prohibit it, even though it doesn't belong to him. But just worshiping it, according to the Ravid, does not prohibit that object. So the Kesef Mishnah explains that according to the Rambam, the principle that one cannot prohibit someone else's property only applies in terms of regular use. So if Ruvain worships Shimon's animal, Shimon is still allowed to use that animal because it didn't belong to Ruvain. So he's unable to prohibit it. But he is able to disqualify it from use as a carbon. So according to the Rambam, one is able to affect someone else's property that it's not allowed to be used as a carbon. So that's what the Rambam means in this case. If Ruvain worships Shimon's animal, even though he cannot prohibit it financially, so Shimon is still able to use the animal, but he is able to disqualify that animal from use as a carbon. So Shimon could not bring that animal as a sacrifice. So Reb Velvel explains that what this means is, according to the Rambam, there are two separate tracks going on. One is prohibiting an animal from regular use, and the other is prohibiting 
prohibiting the animal from use as a sacrifice. And those two categories work totally differently. When it comes to prohibiting the animal for regular people's use, so the reason the animal would be prohibited is that since it was worshipped as an idol, it now has the status of Avodah Zara, and Avodah Zara is prohibited for regular people to benefit from. So that's why Shimon would be unable to benefit from his animal, because this animal has been transformed from a regular animal into an Avodah Zara. So that prohibits it and Shimon can't use it. So that's why the principle that someone else cannot prohibit another person's property kicks in. Since Ruvain doesn't own the animal, so he can't transform this animal from a regular animal to an Avodah Zara animal because it's not his. So he's unable to affect it and he's unable to prohibit it on Shimon. As opposed to the other category of disqualifying this animal from being a carbon, so that doesn't have to do with the status of the animal. It's not that since the animal became an Avodah Zara, it's now disqualified from a carbon. It's that since someone worshipped this animal, the action of worshipping this animal disqualifies it from being a carbon. There's no change in the animal itself. It's that since someone did something in the world which worshipped this animal, so the animal can no longer be brought as a carbon. Just like an animal that gores someone or an animal which is used for immorality, those animals are also disqualified from being a carbon. It's not that there was any internal change in the animal, it's just that the history of this animal includes something which was inappropriate, so it's not allowed to be brought as a carbon. So likewise, if someone worshipped the animal, that disqualifies the animal. So that's why it doesn't matter who owns the animal, because there's no internal change in the status of the animal. So even though Ruvain does not own this animal, since he worshipped it, it is disqualified from being a carbon, even though it didn't belong to Ruvain. So that explains the Rambam's distinction that Ruvain could disqualify Shimon's animal from being a carbon, even though he cannot prohibit Shimon from eating it. Because to prohibit the animal, he needs to be able to change the animal, and he doesn't own the animal. So he cannot make it an Avodah Zara. But to disqualify the animal from being a carbon, he does not need to own it. The mere fact that someone worshipped this animal disqualifies it from being a carbon. And Rav Velvel adds that the source for the approach of the Rambam is the Ushalmi in the seventh chapter of Klaim, it talks about Hanevad, an animal which was worshipped. So there's a debate. Some say that whether it belongs to the person who worshipped it or whether it belongs to someone else, it's prohibited. So if Ruvain worshipped an animal, whether it was Ruvain's animal or Shimon's animal, it's still prohibited. And others disagree and they say that only if it belongs to Ruvain, it's prohibited. But if it belongs to Shimon, then it's permitted. So the Yushalmi explains the first approach, Haben Bayi Meymar, there were those who wanted to explain that the first view, that it's always prohibited, is Reb Meir and Reb Yehuda. And the second view that the animal is only prohibited if it belongs to Ruvain is Reb Yossi and Reb Shimon. So that is the debate. Reb Meir and Reb Yehuda agree with the Rambam. Reb Yossi and Reb Shimon agree with the Raivet.
Then the Gemara quotes a second approach to this whole debate, which is Rabbi Yossi in the name of Reb La, Reb Elah. So he says, Divrei HaKolhi. Everyone's going to agree that if Ruvain worshipped Shimon's animal, it's disqualified from being a carbon. And he gives an example for this halacha. Kama de Tamar Taman, Dover Shiyeshbo Ruach Chaim. Something which is alive, like an animal, so it's not man-made. Afal Pishen Oneser Lehedyot Neser Legavoa. Even though a regular person is allowed to benefit from it, it still is disqualified as a sacrifice. So that's the halacha we just saw, that an animal which is worshipped is not allowed to be a sacrifice, even though a regular person could eat it. So likewise, If Ruvain worships Shimon's animal, even though it's not prohibited for Shimon, it is disqualified from being a carbon. So this is the second approach of the Yushalmi, exactly like Rab Velvel just explained in the Rambam, that there is a distinction between a carbon versus a regular person using it. And even though Ruvain worshiping Shimon's animal would not prohibit Shimon from benefiting from the animal, but it does disqualify Shimon from bringing this animal as a carbon. So the source for the Rambam's ruling is this Yerushalmi. But Rab Velvel asks, there is a conceptual problem with the Yerushalmi's metaphor. The Yerushalmi compares the case of a regular animal, which cannot be prohibited for a person, even though it's disqualified from being a carbon, to the case of someone worshiping someone else's property, that even though Ruvain can't prohibit Shimon from his own property, he does disqualify it from being used as a carbon in the Beis HaMikdash. But says Rab Velvel, these two halachas are unrelated. The halacha that an animal is not prohibited is because anything which is not man-made cannot become prohibited by being worshipped. Now, the Gemara in Tmura does derive from the Pasuk of Min HaBakar that such an animal is disqualified from being a carbon. So there's a general principle in these halachas that anything naturally made does not get the status of idolatry, so it's not prohibited under the regular rules of idolatrous objects, but there's another Pasuk that tells us that it cannot be used as a carbon. But what does that have to do with Ruvain worshipping Shimon's property, which is a totally different principle in halacha? The principle is that someone cannot prohibit someone else's property because it doesn't belong to them. And there is no Pasuk that tells us that the property is disqualified from being a carbon. So where is the source that if Ruvain worships Shimon's animal, he's able to disqualify Shimon from bringing it as a carbon? How does the Yerushalmi compare these two unrelated halachas. And in fact, the Gemara in Psachim Nun derives the whole principle that one cannot prohibit someone else's property from a case of something being used ligavoa in the Beis HaMikdash. Because the case is if someone uses someone else's property to pay a zona, so that property is not prohibited from use in the Beis HaMikdash. So the Gemara explicitly says that this principle that Ruvain cannot prohibit Shimon's property does apply even to using it in the Beis HaMikdash as a sacrifice. So why then does the Yushalmi compare that halachic principle to a totally unrelated one that something which is naturally made does not become Avodah Zarah? 
So says Rab Velvel, his conceptual explanation of these halachas is going to explain what the Yerushalmi is doing. Reb Velvel explained that what makes an animal disqualified from being a carbon is not that it becomes an avodazara, that it gets a different status, but merely the fact that someone worshipped it. That was his whole conceptual distinction within the approach of the Rambam. So that's exactly what the Yerushalmi is saying. Just like an animal itself, since it's naturally made, it does not get the status of Avodah Zarah. So if someone worships it, the animal or the mountain do not become an Avodah Zarah. And yet such an animal is still disqualified from being a carbon. So we see that the criteria for what disqualifies an animal from being a carbon is not that it becomes an Avodah Zarah, but merely the fact that it was worshipped. So now the Yushalmi extends that the same concept applies when Ruvain worships Shimon's property. Even though the property does not transform into Avodah Zarah because it doesn't belong to Ruvain, but the fact that it was worshipped disqualifies it from being a carbon. So on a conceptual level, there is a connection connection between these two halachas, even though the principles are different, but once we see that an animal could be disqualified from being a carbon, even though it itself is not avodazara, but it was merely worshipped, so we could apply the same thing when Ruvain worships Shimon's animal, that even though he doesn't change the status of the animal, but he does disqualify it from being a carbon simply because he worshipped it. So that's exactly the approach of the Rambam, that even though Ruvain cannot change the status of Shimon's animal based on the principle of Ein Adam Osar Dover She'en Oshalo, but since Shimon's animal was now worshipped, it is disqualified from being a carbon. Now, Rashi and Tosvos on Chulin Mem Amad Aleph where the Gemara discusses this whole issue. So they make a very important conceptual distinction between produce growing on the mountain versus the animal. So the Gemara there differentiates between one who worships the mountain itself versus if they worship like the spirit of the mountain, the angel who oversees the mountain. So according to Rashi and Tosvos, that distinction is telling us that the mountain itself and the produce which is connected to the mountain cannot become an idol at all. So even if someone worships a mountain, the mountain does not become an idol. There's no way to make a mountain or any natural land area into an idol. So that's why the mountain and everything that's connected and growing on it is still permitted because none of that is considered an idol at all. As opposed to something which is not connected to the land, so like an animal, even though the Torah said that the animal itself is not prohibited, but it is an idol. So if someone worships an animal, the animal does become an idol. But the Torah said that a natural made idol, like an animal, since it's not man-made, is not prohibited. So according to Rashi and Tosvos, land and produce which is connected to the land cannot become an idol to begin with. That's why everything on it is permitted. Whereas an animal, which is naturally made, but disconnected from the land, so it does become an idol if someone worships it, but the Torah said that such an idol is still permitted to be eaten. So now what follows from Rashi and Tosos' distinction is that if someone uses meat or wine or some disconnected man-made object in order to worship an animal, so that wine and meat is prohibited from use because it worshipped something which is in Avodah Zarah. If that wine and meat had worshipped the mountain, so then it would 
be permitted because it served something which is not an Avodah Zarah. But an animal is an Avodah Zarah. The animal itself is not prohibited, but any Tikrovas, anything which worshipped the animal, is going to be prohibited. So the view of Rashi and Tosvos clearly goes against Reb Velvel's analysis because the whole basis of his analysis is that when one worships an animal, it does not become an Avodah Zarah at all. And still it's disqualified from being a carbon because it was worshipped. Now, according to Rashi and Tosos, that is not correct. When one worships an animal, it does become an Avodah Zarah. The status of the animal is transformed. So we can't compare that case to Ruvain worshipping Shimon's animal, where he's unable to change the status of the animal. So Rashi and Tosos' understanding of this would go against Reb Velvel's analysis. But he says that his analysis is within the Rambam, and the Rambam disagrees with Rashi and Tosos on this point. According to the Rambam, the distinction in the Gemara is not between someone who worships the mountain versus worshiping the spirit of the mountain, which would be a distinction between land versus objects which are disconnected from the land. But according to the Rambam, the distinction is between someone who worships the spirit of the mountain, meaning they actually do idolatry, they consider this mountain to be an idol, versus someone who thinks that there's healing powers in the mountain, so it's superstition, but it's not full-fledged idolatry. So according to the Rambam, the Gemara means to say that if someone was superstitious, they think that the mountain can heal them, that is not full idolatry, but if they actually worship the mountain, that is full idolatry, and anything they used in the worship of the mountain would be prohibited. So now according to the Rambam, if someone uses meat or wine or any other man-made object to worship the mountain itself, those objects are still prohibited. They're considered Tikrovis Avodah So the Rambam disagrees with Rashi and Tosos's distinction. According to the Rambam, there is no difference between land or an animal. Both of them are considered an idol, but the Torah said that the land and the animal itself are not prohibited from use. But anything which was used to serve the land or the animal is prohibited from deriving benefit. So unlike Rashi and Tosvos who hold that the land can never become an idol at all, according to the Rambam, it does become an idol. And this view of the Rambam is reiterated in the halacha we're dealing with at the beginning of chapter 8 of Avodah Zarah, where the Rambam includes the mountain and the animal in the same halacha. And for both of them, he applies the same principle, that anything which was not changed or made by humans does not become Avodah and it itself is not prohibited. But according to the Rambam, the mountain and the animal have the same status. They're the exact same category. There is no big distinction between them. So the reason an animal, even though it does not become Avodah Zarah, is disqualified from being a carbon is because the Rambam understands that there are two different tracks. One is whether this object is prohibited from regular use. And in terms of that halacha, we apply the rule that anything which is not man-made or changed by humans, does not become prohibited from regular use. But then there is a second track that those objects, even though they're not prohibited from regular use, are disqualified from use in the Beis HaMikdash, even though they do not become Avodah Zarah. So again, this reinforces Rav Velvel's whole analysis according to the Rambam, that this is a special halacha, that even though the animal itself does not get transformed into an Avodah Zarah, 
it is still disqualified from being used as a carbon. So whether the object can be used as a carbon does not depend on whether it itself became Avodah but rather anything which was worshipped becomes disqualified from being a carbon. So according to the Rambam's understanding of the Mishnah in Chulin Daf Mem, this approach of Rab Velvel is reinforced, and that explains the Rambam in Hilchos Yisurei Mizbeach, that even if Ruvain worships Shimon's animal, it's a disqualified for Shimon to bring it as a carbon. Now, Reb Velvel applies his conceptual idea to answer another question in the Gemara Navodah Zara Nundalid. The Gemara discusses Ezehu Nevad, what's included in the case of an animal which was worshipped. So the Gemara says, Bein B'Shogeg, Bein B'Mezid, Bein B'Ones, Bein B'Ratzon, whether it was an accident, whether it was intentional, whether it was coerced, whether it was willful, all of these cases are considered worshipping the animal, and this animal is a nevad, it's prohibited to be used as a carbon. So the Gemara asks, Hi, Ones, Hechidami. What is the case of Ones where someone was forced to worship the animal and it still prohibits the animal? So Rami Bar explains, Kigon Shan Suhu Nochrim Behemto The case is where non Jews forced a Jew to worship his own animal. So it's not talking about someone worshiping someone else's animal. The Ones is the person themselves that they were forced by non-Jews to worship their own animal and now the animal is prohibited. So Reb Zeira asks on this case that the principle in Halacha is Ones Rachmana Patre. Someone who's forced to do something is exempt. Because the Torah says, that if a man forces himself on a girl, she is exempt because she had no way to stop him from doing what he was doing. So the same thing here, why does this person prohibit his animal when he was forced to worship it? So Rav explains, when the Torah said, don't worship animals, don't worship idolatry, everyone was included in that, whether they were forced or whether they did it willingly. Now, when the Torah said that you should live by the mitzvahs and not die, so it's excluding someone who was forced to worship idolatry. So at that point, only someone who chose to do idolatry is considered idolatry, not if they were forced. But then there's another Pasuk, the Torah says, don't desecrate Hashem's name. So that includes even Ones, even if someone is forced. So now we have a contradiction in the Torah. In one place, it excludes forced idolatry. That's not considered idolatry. And in another place, it includes even Ones. So the Gemara answers, there's a difference between privately versus in public. The Torah is saying that Ones, if someone is forced to do idolatry in private, that is not considered idolatry, but in public that is idolatry and they have to give their life and that type of onus is considered idolatry. So Rami Bar is talking about someone who was forced to do idolatry publicly, but someone who was forced to do idolatry in private is not considered real idolatry. That's the distinction that Rava makes. Now, Tosvos asks on Reb Zera's question, what kind of question is this that Ones Rachmana Patre, that the Torah exempted someone who was forced? 
even if the Torah said that this person is exempt so they don't get punished or they don't have to give their life rather than get forced to do Avodah Zarah, but what they did is still Avodah Zarah. So when they bow and worship this animal, it is still considered Avodah Zarah and it should prohibit the animal. So what kind of question is this that if the person is exempt, it should not prohibit the animal? So Tosos explains that the debate between Reb Zera and Rava is that Reb Zera holds that since this person is an Ones and technically they're exempt, so even though they would have to give their life, that's still not considered Avodah Zara, and such worship should not disqualify the animal because it was not real idolatry. So according to Reb Zera, the criteria for giving one's life and what prohibits this animal are different. Even though someone would have to give their life, since if they did not, it would not be considered real idolatry and they're exempt from having done idolatry, so such worship should not disqualify their animal. Rava disagrees and he says the criteria for giving one's life and disqualifying the animal are the same. So since in public, this person would have had to sacrifice their life, Yahareg Val Yavor, so if they do in fact go ahead and worship the animal, which they were not supposed to do, that would disqualify the animal. Even though what they did was coerced, they were not willingly doing Avodah Zarah, but the fact that they did something they should not have done is going to prohibit the animal. So that's the debate between Reb Zera and Rava, according to Tosvos. But says Reb Velvel, there's still a question on this explanation. Because what is whether the person is allowed to do this Avodah Zarah or not have to do with whether the animal is now considered an Avodah Zarah or not. Those seem like two different issues. One is whether the person would be allowed to do this Avodah Zarah be'ones, and the second issue is whether that turns the animal into an Avodah Zarah. But why should the Gemara assume that those two issues are connected? And furthermore, the whole issue of whether the person has to give their life or not is related to the question of the Chai Bahem. When the Torah said that you can violate the mitzvahs in order to live. So does that apply even to Avodah Zarah of Ones? And does that apply publicly or not? But that has nothing to do with whether this animal was worshipped and now became an Avodah Zarah. So why is the Gemara connecting the issue of whether the person was allowed to do this Avodah Zarah with whether the animal is now prohibited? And if we're going to say that from this Gemara we derive the principle that any time a person did Avodah Zarah be'ones, any time they were coerced, they do not prohibit the animal. So then how does Rava make sense in this whole discussion? Because Rava differentiates between if it was public or private or if it was Shas Hagzeira when the non-Jews are trying to force the Jews to violate the Torah. So at those times, one has to give their life even for Avodah Zarah be'ones. So according to Rava, that type of Avodah Zarah, even though it's ones, does disqualify the animal. And the reason is because the person needed to give their life and they did the wrong thing by doing that Avodah Zarah. That's how Tosos explains it, that inherently this Avodah Zarah was ones, but since there was a rule that the person should not have done it, so it disqualified qualifies the animal. So from Rava, we see very clearly that even Avodah Zarah of Ones only does not prohibit the animal, 
if the person was allowed to do it. But if they were not allowed to do it, then it does prohibit the animal, even if it's ones. So now we're back to the question, what does the issue of whether this person was allowed to do the avodah or not have anything to do with whether this animal, the object that was worshipped, becomes prohibited? So says Rab Velvel, according to his overall conceptual idea in this piece, it explains what the Gemara is saying here as well. Because the reason why this animal would become disqualified from being a carbon is not because it itself becomes Avodah Zara. As Rab Velvel has been explaining throughout, there are two tracks. One is changing the animal itself into Avodah Zara, and the other is disqualifying it from being a carbon, which does not require the animal to be considered Avodah Zara. Even if the animal has no change, the very fact that it was worshipped by someone disqualifies it from being a carbon. Now, that worship has to be the kind of worship which is prohibited, because if the person was allowed to do what they were doing, then that's not going to disqualify the carbon. So now it makes sense why the Gemara says that the whole issue depends on whether the person was allowed to do the Avodah Zara Be'ones, because if they were, then and that means what they did, the worship that was done to this animal was not prohibited, so it doesn't prohibit the animal. The animal itself is not becoming Avodah Zara. The only question is whether it was worshipped improperly. So if the person was allowed to do what they did, it does not prohibit the animal. So this explains very nicely why the Gemara says that the animal's prohibition depends on whether the person did prohibited Avodah Zara or not. Because in fact, those are the same question. And now Rab Velvel adds that this only applies to when someone worshipped an animal. Because since the animal itself does not become an Avodah Zara, so the criteria is whether the person did something prohibited to the animal or not. But when we're dealing with other objects, so anything which is man-made, which does become Avodah Zara itself, so there it doesn't matter whether the person was allowed to do what they did or not. The Gemara would not have had this whole discussion about a regular man-made object. Because there, even if the person was allowed to do the Avodah Zara, it doesn't make a difference. Since this object was worshipped, it now becomes Avodah Zara. It's transformed into Avodah Zara. So as Rab Velvel was asking the whole time, it's a totally different issue. It's unrelated whether the person was allowed to do the Avodah Zara Ba'ones. Since this object was worshipped and now it became an Avodah Zara, so it's clearly prohibited from use, not only as a carbon, but for everyone, because that's the rule of something which is an Avodah Zara. Once it's worshipped, it's prohibited for everyone, even regular use. So the whole discussion of the Gemara only applies to animals, but it does not apply to regular man-made objects. And the proof is, because the Halacha is that if a non-Jew makes an idol, even before it's worshipped, it's still prohibited. A Jew's idol is only prohibited once it's worshipped. But as soon as a non-Jew makes an idol, it's immediately prohibited, even though it was not worshipped. So we see that it does not require worship. As soon as something is considered an idol, it is immediately prohibited. So any man-made object is going to be in the same category. Once it becomes an idol, it's immediately prohibited, even if the person was allowed to worship it. The only exception is the animal, and that's why the Gemara discusses it. So Rab Velvel's whole conceptual insight into the 
nature of the prohibition of an animal which is worshipped that there are two tracks. One is to prohibit it for regular use, which does not apply to animals because they're naturally made. And the second track is to prohibit it as a carbon, and that applies even though the animal does not become an avodazara since someone worshipped it. So only in that unique case does the Gemara discuss the issue of if someone was forced to worship it since they were allowed to do it in certain cases, that would not disqualify the animal. So now in the final paragraph, Rab Velvel brings back this whole concept to his original discussion. We see from his whole development of the Rambam's approach that this halacha in the Gemara min habakar, that an animal which is worshipped cannot be used as a carbon, is not just telling us a technicality. That even though an animal does not become avodah so it's not prohibited from regular use, it's still disqualified as a carbon. That's not all the Gemara means to teach us. It's trying to teach us that there are two different tracks. One is that the animal is not prohibited because it does not become avodazara, And the second is that for something to be disqualified as a carbon is a different criteria that even if it doesn't become avodazara, there was no change in the object. Since it was worshipped, it's now disqualified as a carbon. So that's the deeper meaning of that halacha in the Gemara. So now, when the Gemara in Temura discusses whether or not these animals are allowed to be eaten by regular people, not as a carbon, but just for regular use, so that's the point of this discussion in the Gemara, as Tosfo said. We would have thought that since there is another prohibition on this animal, which is Nevad or Muktza, from Minhabakar, that it's not allowed to be used as a carbon, so maybe it's also not allowed to be eaten by regular people. So meaning, even though the animal itself did not become Avodazara, maybe it doesn't need that because the criteria for whether regular people are allowed to eat it is different. And even though it's not Avodazara, since it was worshipped, they're not allowed to eat it. So that would have applied even though they're naturally made, even though the halacha in general is that anything which is not man-made does not become prohibited under the rules of Avodazara. It's not considered an idolatrous object. But this animal which is worshipped might be be an exception because of Minha Bakar, which teaches us that even though the animal itself does not become Avodazara, since it was worshipped by someone, it's not allowed to be a carbon and it's not allowed to be eaten either. And it doesn't matter that it's not man-made. So that was the question of the Gemara that perhaps it should be prohibited to be eaten, even for regular use. So on that, the Gemara answered that the Torah only prohibited these animals from being a carbon, not for regular people to eat them. So according to this interpretation of those lines in the Gemara, it explains now the Rambam that Rab Velvel began with. The Rambam included in this halacha two different halachas. One is Nevad and one is Muktza. And the Rambam is telling us that both types of animals, whether it was worshipped or whether it was set aside to worship an idol, both of them are permitted to be eaten for regular use. So now in order to explain this halacha, the Rambam has to give two principles. First of all, since this is an animal, so it's not man-made, so it's not included in the overall prohibition of idolatry, which would have said that it's usr behanna. But since this is a natural object, so it's not prohibited behanna, and the person is allowed to use it. But then says the Rambam, there is an additional problem, because we would have thought, based on the discussion in the Gemara and Tmura, that even though these animals are not actual idolatry, but they're 
there's a separate prohibition for someone to eat them, just like they're not allowed to be used as a carbon. And that has nothing to do with whether the animal is an avodah or not, because even if it's not an avodah since it was worshipped, the person is now prohibited to eat it and bring it as a carbon. That's a separate track. So for that, the Rambam invokes what the Gemara in Tamura said, that that prohibition does not apply for regular use. So now that's exactly why the Rambam says that if the animal which was itself worshipped, the nevad is still allowed to be eaten, then all the more so an animal which is only muksa set aside to worship an idol certainly is allowed to be eaten. That's exactly what the Mishnah says, that both of these are allowed to be eaten. So the Rambam is reiterating that both the nevad and the muksa are allowed to be eaten. And even though in general muksa does not apply to regular people, but this halacha obviously would have been an exception because we could have said that the Torah is explicitly saying that an animal which is muksa to serve an idol is prohibited for regular people to eat. And in that case, it would not have mattered at all that an animal cannot become an avodah zara because since this is a different track, so the fact that the animal is a natural object would not have saved it, so it still would have been prohibited. So that's why the Rambam groups all of this together and he tells us that this animal is still allowed to be eaten because it's not prohibited because it's a naturally made object and it's also not not prohibited to be eaten because since the Torah only prohibited it as a carbon not to be eaten, so that prohibition too does not prohibit the animal. So that's the explanation for the Rambam's organization of this halacha and why he puts all these seemingly unrelated halachas together because he's codifying the discussion in the Gemara in Tamura and all of these concepts come into play in order to allow this case. So that's why the Rambam invokes all of them and puts them all together in this halacha. So that's Rab Velvel's explanation for the Rambam's organization and formulation of this halacha. And again, the key conceptual point is that an animal can be prohibited to be brought as a carbon, even if it itself is not avodazara since it was worshipped. So there are two different tracks and different criteria for making something a carbon versus prohibiting it for regular use because it's avodazara. Now, Rab Velvel has a related idea to this piece, and it's much more practically relevant nowadays. This idea does not appear in the Sefer Chidushim Aron Riz Halevi, but it is quoted by Rav Shach in the Sefer Avi Ezri and Hilchos Macholos Asuros Perak Yud Aleph, and this has to do with what's called Stam Yenam. So the Torah prohibited Yayin Nesach. If someone pours wine to serve in idolatry, that wine is prohibited Mida Oraisa. The rabbis then extended that to wine which is in the possession of a non-Jew, so even if we don't know what happened, we have to be cautious and be concerned that perhaps they used it to serve an idolatry, so it's prohibited. So this halacha is one of the few halachas regarding idolatry, which is very practically relevant and widespread nowadays, because there is an issue with non-Jews wine if it wasn't mevushal cooked, so one is not allowed to drink it. So Reb Velvel had a very incisive analysis of this concept, and it begins with a question of the Ramban on the Ramban. The Rambam in his list of the mitzvahs, so mitzvah 25 is that anything which was used to serve Avodah Zarah, Tikrovis Avodah Zarah, is prohibited for anyone to get benefit from. And included in that list, obviously, is wine. So 
in Mitzvah 25, the Rambam tells us that if someone used wine to serve Avodah Zarah, they poured the wine as a libation to the idolatry, that wine is prohibited to drink, Mida Oraisa. Then in Mitzvah 194, the Rambam tells us that Yayin Nesach, wine which was used to serve idolatry, is prohibited. So the Ramban, in his critique of the Sefer HaMitzvos, asks, why does the Rambam need to list another mitzvah that Yayin Nesach is prohibited when it's already included in the earlier general mitzvah that any Tikrovis Avodah is prohibited? So Rav Shach quotes that he heard from Rav Velvel that he answered that the Rambam is trying to tell us that regular Tikrovis Avodah is Aser Behana'ah. So that's Mitzvah 25. Anything which is used to serve idolatry is Aser Behana'ah. In Mitzvah 194, the Rambam is adding that there is another prohibition to drink Yayin Nesach. So that's what the Rambam is adding in that second Mitzvah. Not only is it Aser Behana'ah, but it's also prohibited to drink Yayin Nesach. Now, even though the earlier Mitzvah also includes drinking, because drinking is a form of benefiting, but the Rambam is including two types of prohibitions. One is benefiting from Yayin Nesach, and one is drinking Yayin Nesach. So this idea is very similar to what we saw in the Sefer, where he reiterates a very similar version to this, that something which is itself Avodah Zarah is only Aser Behana'ah. It's not Aser Be'achila, and Tikrovis Avodah Zarah has an additional prohibition. Not only is there the regular Isr but it's also prohibited to eat. So the formulation in the Sefer is that Avodah Zarah itself has one prohibition of Hanna'ah and Tikrovis Avodah Zarah has an additional one of eating. In this piece, he's formulating the same general idea a little differently with regards specifically to Yayin Nesach. That regular Tikrovis Avodah Zarah has an Isr Hanna'ah and Yayin Nesach has a special prohibition also against drinking it. But either way, it's a similar mode of thinking about these halachas according to Rab Velvel, there's an Isr Hanna'ah, and then at times there's an additional Isr Achila, which is not the classic prohibition against idolatrous objects. Now, based on this, we can give an important conceptual formulation of Stam Yenam. The rabbis prohibited even wine that we don't know was used for idolatry, but it was in the possession of a non-Jew. So what was the nature of that decree? So the Rambam rules that one only gets Makas Mardus, rabbinic lashes, if they drink a revius of stam yenam. So if one drinks a little sip of stam yenam, they would not get lashes. But if they drink a revius, which is the normal measurement of drinking in halacha, so then the rabbis punish them. Now, when it comes to Avodah Zarah, so one gets punished for drinking even a little bit. So if one drank a sip of yayin nesach, which is asr mido raisa, because it was used to serve idolatry, they would get punished. So why does the Rambam differentiate that Stam Yenam requires a revius. Says Rab Velvel, based on his conceptual framework, the Rambam held that Stam Yenam, the rabbinic decree, is connected specifically to the prohibition of 194 to drink the Yayin Nesach. Meaning there are two components Midoraisa in Yayin Nesach. One is the regular prohibition that you're not allowed to derive Hana'a from Avodah Zarah objects. And the second is a specific prohibition against drinking Yayin Nesach. So Stam Yenam was modeled after the second component, not the first. So even though there's no measurement for using Avodah Zarah objects, that's
that's because of the general prohibition against Hana'a of deriving any benefit from idolatrous objects. But Yayin Nesach has a second component, which is that it's prohibited to drink Yayin Nesach, and that requires a revius. So even though when it comes to regular Yayin Nesach, one gets punished even for drinking a little bit because of the overall prohibition of Tikrovis Avodazara, but when it comes to Stam Yenam, which was modeled after the prohibition of drinking Yayin Nesach, so until one drinks a revius, they don't get punished. So that is Rab Velvel's explanation of the Rambam and his approach to Stam Yenam. So it comes out that the decree of Stam Yenam was modeled specifically after the second component of Yayin Nesach, that it's prohibited to drink it. Now, in the back of Avi Ezri, he quotes a marginal comment from the Chazon Ish, and he disagrees with Reb Velvel about this point. And he holds that there are no two different components. There's only one prohibition, which is to derive benefit from idolatrous objects, including Yayin Nesach. There is no second mitzvah, which prohibits specifically drinking the Yayin Nesach. And he also says that that Pasuk that the Rambam is quoting in 194 is really making fun of Avodah Zarah. It's not telling us a new criteria for the prohibition of Yayin Nesach. So according to the Chazonish, why are there two different mitzvahs? So he explains that the second mitzvah is coming to tell us that pouring wine is a form of worship. The classic form of worship is slaughtering, sacrificing the animal. So what includes pouring wine that that also is considered a form of worship and prohibits the wine? So that's what the second mitzvah is coming to teach us, that not only slaughtering the animal, but also pouring the wine, the libation, is also considered a form of worship. So that wine is Yayin Nesach, and now it's included in the overall category of Tikrovis Avodah so it becomes prohibited. So according to the Chazonish, there are no two components or levels, there's not an Isra Hana and an Isra Achila, but anything which is considered an idolatrous object is prohibited to be used in any way. Now, it's also just worth mentioning that Rab Velvel's great-grandfather, the Nitziv, in a few places, including in his commentary on the Torah, Hamek Dover Dvarim Lamed Beis Lamed Ches, suggests another approach to explain the Rambam. And he says that there's a difference between actually pouring the wine in front of the idol versus shaking the wine around for the idol. So that's a lower form of worship. It's not actually serving the idol with the libation. They're just shaking the wine around in front of the idol. And that too is considered Yayin Nesach. So that's what the Rambam is coming to add in the second mitzvah. The first mitzvah is telling us that if the wine was actually poured in front of the idol, so that wine is Aser Behanna. It's totally prohibited, not as Yayin Nesach, but as Tikrovis Avodah It's in the category as if the animal was slaughtered to the idol. So just like that animal is totally prohibited, even behana'a, so too wine that is poured in front of the idol is totally prohibited, even behana'a. So that's the first mitzvah. But then in the second one, the Rambam adds that if the wine was not actually poured in front of the idol, it was only shook around a little bit, so that's a lower form of worship. It is prohibited, but not as much as the first one. So it's only prohibited to drink Drink that wine, but it's not prohibited behanna'a because that wine is not tikrovis avodazara. It's not the same as slaughtering an animal to an idol. That's actual sacrifice of idolatry, whereas shaking the wine around in front of the idol is a lower form. So the Torah prohibited that, but only to drink it. One can still get benefit from it. So that's the Nitziv's approach to explaining the Rambam and why.
why he has two different mitzvahs. So those are three approaches to answer the question of the Ramban on the Rambam, Rab Velvel's the Chazon Ish and the Nitziv. And Rab Velvel's idea parallels in many ways some of the ideas that he develops in this piece.